Oh, my friend. I have missed you. I've mi- I, do, I, I have such a hard time when we're not together after we're together for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so, I'm so moody. I feel so empty inside. Yeah, no, I get it, man. I'm right there with you. I mean, I just celebrated my 10th anniversary, and the whole time I'm thinking, ugh, you are not Luke. Nope. You are not. Sure is it. You don't love me like Luke loves me. <laughs> you haven't put on 30 pounds in the past three years. <laughs> No, my wife's losing weight because she's doing body pump at the YMCA. There you go, Shannon. And one. And two. <laughs> I feel like she's pretty athletic. Is she athletic? Uh, I don't know how to answer that question. She she was, uh, I mean, she was a cheerleader like, for like high school, <laughs> like year round at her all girls school. That's funny. Right. Aaron was too. And when Aaron I'm told him that, I was like, when I first found out, I was like, you don't really strike me as a cheerleading type. And she was just like, that's like to hang out. <laughs> Aaron was like the cheerleader and it was just like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Yeah, no, that's well, when you're a cheerleader at an all girls school, I think you're morally compelled to not care that much. <laughs> yeah, true. Because, you know, the only sports we're cheering for are men's sports. Oh, we both did that noise at the same time. Take that U.S. men's national team. Oh, the women's team are, are man. They are so good. I, that did you see that goal that Megan Rapone scored and then her little like pose after the fact? No, I did not. It was it's wonderful, especially like given how Trump was bashing her this past week. It was amazing. <laughs> what was her pose? She just like kind of like put her hands up and just like kind of like are you not entertained? <laughs> kind of a thing. It was, I mean, because it was probably like one of the, the like they were playing what uh, what was arguably the um, the other best team in the tournament, which was so, Spain. No, it uh, was France, France, the host nation, and so. Ooh. Uh, now England and Germany are no jokes, so uh, we'll see. But um, slowly trying to turn this into a sports podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm right there with you, man. I'm tracking right there with you. So they play they, they play England on next, and I actually think England could give them could beat them. I think England's a very big up up and coming uh, team. They've got a really they're having a stronger women's league. Um, hmm. So yeah, yeah, man. Does it's fun. does every FIFA team have to have a women's team as well? Is it like um, Title Nine for the world? Like with, no, if, okay, no, no. It's uh, they should, but most don't. It's like highly, highly encouraged that you do, but I do not. I do not believe there's some type of a rule. So they don't require it. No, because like uh, sorry, Arab gym, nations. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Um, they um, women can't even go to watch games in Iran. Um, I believe it's iran is that crazy they can't go to watch a game um hmm. anywho <laughs> uh what was i going to say oh um the jamaican team like so okay so each so when if you want to fall under any of like the fifa stuff within your own um, country under like they're like regulations be part of their stuff you have to adhere to your nation's like you like have a federation that's in charge of like you have a national you sorry let me back up you have a national 
federation that like is uh, in charge of running around with soccer within your own country. So they they run the men's team, all of the youth teams, and then they then they have the women's team as well. The Jamaican one like shut the women's team down for like a year and a half or so, and the girls on the team and Bob Marley's daughter pretty much like paid for it to get back up and running. Oh wow. Yeah, because he was a huge soccer guy. <laughs> of course he was. And he died in the arms of Ethiopian orthodoxy. Take that, hippie. Take that, Rastafarians. They're not really hippies. Yeah. That's true. No, well, not the Rastafarians. But I mean, I mean more like hippies who, you know, uh, yeah. let they claim Bob Marlin. Like, nope, 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 he's ours. <laughs> Orthodox is close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Approximity. <laughs> Oh, man. We can keep talking about this if you want to. No, I, I don't feel I have any <laughs> single thing to offer. So for those of you who don't know, me and Luke were in Alaska together in Anchorage. Oh, we for, sure were. For a wonderful event uh, called the Heights Young Adult Conference. And it was beautiful. Um, Anchorage, Alaska is one of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth. It was incredible. Yeah, insane. And me and Luke had a free day. Uh, our wonderful host... Um, Oh. Teresa, Teresa, a big fan of the show. Yeah, she, clap, 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 clap for Teresa. Oh, man, her house was clap, perfect. Clap, clap, clap. Um, Amazing. She let us use her Space Age Volvo. And oh, what a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, every time it get powder up, I was like, this is so much better than my Chevy. <laughs> every time I got... So I drove the Volvo once, nervously, and when I, I drove it to a lunch that was three miles away and back, and... When I got out of the car, when I drove to the lunch place, I was like, why are my biceps so sore? And I realized literally I was so nervous <laughs> driving this car that is worth, frankly, more than my life. Uh, certainly more than this podcast. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I like locked on <laughs> the podcast sells for half its worth. <laughs> yeah. Anyone want to make offers on this podcast? Like, I mean, turns out uh, you owe us money by us buying this. Weird, right? <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> Um, but no, so I, uh, yeah, I was just squeezing the steering wheel too hard. But um, the funny thing was, and this is like our, this is standard Luke and Gomer. We have <laughs> literally about 12 hours to go and hang out in Alaska. We are encouraged by Teresa to go drive to a place called Girdwood, which is about half an hour away. And they say that the drive is just as beautiful as the destination. You guys are mm-hmm. going to love it. Everyone told us independently, yeah. you got to go to Girdwood. Instead, Luke, where did we go? John Wick 3. <laughs> <laughs> like, as we're driving to and from the movie theater, we're like, look at the mountains. Look how beautiful this is. I can't believe we're here. Anywho, let's go indoors for an hour and a half. <laughs> let's go to a theater that each of us have in our respective home areas. <laughs> yeah. A theater that I go to so often, I got a free movie ticket with my re- points, <laughs> reward points. <laughs> headshot, 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 headshot. <laughs> It was wonderful. I mean, John Wick 3 is overrated, but it was wonderful. Yeah, John Wick 3 is rated. I don't think people were going nuts for it. Were they? Uh, um, In the very beginning, I feel like a few people Luke, were. So, Did you see John Wick 2? Sure did. So you saw John Wick 2 twice. John Wick 3 is John Wick 2, and it paves the way for John Wick 4. You're like, come on. John I mean, Wick 1 was ne- awesome. John Wick 2. I'm not necessarily. Yeah, I'm not necessarily upset about that. I just, um, yeah, it, it does. Uh, yeah, I mean, the book scene was the best part. Yeah, though. and the, that was a, that was worth the price of admission alone. The whole place was freaking out when that was happening. Oh, oh, 
Oh. Especially that woman next to us, yeah. that older Asian woman. She loved it. She it loved was... every extreme murder death kill. She was Whoa. all that. Whoa. <laughs> I love I-, I miss. This is what I miss the most about Steubenville. Going to a movie theater with non white people. I know, because they actually have a real reaction to it. They interact it with experience. the movie a thousand yeah. times better. And it is so fun. It's so fun. Have you seen, there's this one um, meme, I guess, I'm I'm calling everything, I mean, what is a meme, really, Um, on the internet of these people? I think they're in Asia seeing Iron Man, sorry, seeing Avengers Endgame. So huge spoilers right here for Avengers Endgame. Skip ahead half a minute. I'm not, I'm not, I'm kidding. Like, I'm going to spoil this, like the whole thing right now. So when Tony Stark gets gets the gauntlet and then he like then like he snaps and he kills Thanos, yeah, um, the entire movie theater starts screaming. <laughs> like people are getting up, running around screaming at, at the like on top of their heads. And I was like, I, I want to have that reaction. <laughs> I want to be free to be able to do that. That is awesome. Yeah, I saw the movie. Oh gosh, what was it called? The Ring. Remember that movie about the little girl and you get a phone call uh, that says seven days? Can you go see horror films? I can't do horror films. I can't do horror films, but I saw that one because I had a crush on a girl and a thing. Ooh. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and she wanted to see I'll, it. And she, I'll endure this. My favorite part of the movie is when in the ring, the demon girl comes through the television set because you watch a video of her and then you'll, you have seven days and then you're going to die. She, at one point, she's crawling on the floor and it's a famous scene. And then she comes through the television set, and the guy next to me goes, oh, hell nah, hell nah. And he got up and ran out of the movie theater, (laughs) screaming. And it was so, the whole place erupts in, like, screams of fear, and then laughing at that guy. And then afterwards, I walk out, me and the girl I was with, we were the only white people in the whole theater, and I walk out, and uh, these kids are talking about the movie, and they are, like, so excited about how terrified they were. And one kid sees me, and he goes, you were the white dude in the movie theater. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I was. <laughs> he goes, what did you think about when that guy ran out? And I go, and uh, it was the guy next to him. And I go, it was you, wasn't it? And he's like, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I mean, he literally ran down the aisle. We were sitting right in the middle, down the aisle, up the side, See, out I the want door. the freedom to do that. Yeah. 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 You're not allowed. Um, Thank you, British inheritance. Yeah, seriously. It's, isn't it kind of weird how, like, you just, like, inherit these weird culturals, like, like little um, tidbits here and there yeah. from um, different things? And it's just, yeah, it is, like, such a British thing. Like, just stay, stay, stay quiet, stay calm, you know, be seen, not, not heard. <laughs> Govern yourselves with politeness and restraint and bitter sarcasm. I know, right? Uh, how long did it take you to um, get over the jet lag? Well, seeing as how it's Saturday morning at 9.43 a.m. our time, um, and we still haven't recorded. We just started recording the episode. Uh, so, I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was supposed to fly out. My flight was supposed to leave at like 8 p.m. and do an all-night straight flight to houston and get in at 6 a.m but instead and that was supposed to be on wednesday morning i was supposed to get in instead on monday i bought a 2 p.m flight to denver and then from denver to houston so i was home at 2 a.m which is just nuts but um 
Only $30 on Uber. And it was a delight. The guy was a gentleman. Um, I, to- I, I told you, take Uber. I know, I did. But, but, but then you're always like, me. I know, I am. I am. I'd rather have someone pick me up for free. <laughs> oh, that's crazy talk. Um, no, but I, uh, I went to bed. at. I, I went home. I laid down, and I was wide awake. I totally got a second wind. I slept a little bit on the oh. plane, but not much. I did mostly read. Yeah. And then I just went downstairs, and I played with my cat, and... Um, Watched some Dave Ramsey finance videos, and then finally got sleepy enough that I went back upstairs. So I slept probably two hours one night, and then like nine hours the next night. It was I was all over the place. I'm yeah, still I'm still I, recuperating. Luke, being in your late thirties is uh, it's rough. It's weird. I don't typically get any type of jet lag. Right, me too. I mean, at, at least not anything that I noticed. But this trip, like, it's so I um. Flew in, so my flight I'm left around midnight, and then I didn't end up getting so on midnight Alaska time, like first thing Tuesday morning, like at midnight, and then I got in, I got home at like ten till seven p.m. Eastern time. That's when I stepped in the door. So I got stuck in. I was doing okay, and I was able to. I was able to sleep on the plane for a bit. I uh, changed my flights. I flew in to Denver. Had about a four hour on the over there. I, I was I was able to hang out with Scott for a bit and his two daughters. That was actually great. And then, um, uh, but then I but then when I was stuck in traffic coming home, that's when I was like, oh no, I like it's all hitting me. Oh yeah. And I I was Time awake to take about a nap. Half, <laughs> I know. I basically ate dinner with Aaron and then fell asleep. And then I woke up at two a.m. and was wide awake. Mm. And I was like, "What? Like, I was like, this doesn't make it. It makes no um sense because on Alaskan time, it's like ten o'clock or whatever uh, at night. I shouldn't be awake. I should be like, I'm ready to go to bed. And instead, I was up till eight. Then really, then I fell asleep till one. And then I've been trying to power through there ever since. And I'm, I, I'm, I think I'm pretty much good now. But it's, I, th- it's, I think it was a combination of. Uh, like red eye, the t- the time um difference, and the sun being up forever, which was so crazy. Yeah, yeah. I don't that's, know. That's a, um, that's like even like just experiencing the sun being out at that time is worth the like price of the ticket alone. We, dear audience, if you were following us on Facebook, Twitter, or Patreon, I think we posted in all three. It was so my brain could not handle the fact that we were there for the summer solstice. So that whole week, which is you know, the sun never it never gets fully dark. Sun sets around twelve thirty, rises around four thirty, um, but it never gets dark like dark night. And uh, the dark night rises. Um, it was so bizarre. The first, I think it was this, yeah, it was the second night I was there. We did this cocktail party. And we're all out on the back deck, and we're having fun, and we're talking, and we're laughing, and it's great. And Brother V is there from the CFRs, and Connor is there. He's a musician. And me as representing the speakers. And Excuse me. There you go. There you go. Got some good podcasts in there. Yep. Edit it out. Uh, so we were all there, and we were talking and chatting, and it was just great. And then people started leaving, like, well, we have to go. I got to get them back. We got to go to sleep. or what? And I'm like, what are these people talking about? It's like 5 o'clock. And I look at my watch. I'm such an idiot. The event started at 7 p.m. And it was like 10.15. And it felt like a normal Houston ten, uh, 5 o'clock or maybe 6 o'clock in the afternoon or 6 o'clock in the evening. Like 
the sun was that bright. And my brain could not handle that it was like 10 or 10.30, like at all. And so the next night, you're in there, and we're drinking out on the back porch. and We sure were. And, uh, and, and again, like people are like, okay, I got to go to bed. I'm so tired. I'm like, what time is it? It's, it's 12.30 at night. Okay, the sun's, this is called the sunset. Okay, it's not 8.30 or whatever. It was so bizarre. I couldn't get used to it. Yeah, it um I don't think I saw like the I, I just I uh, I kind of um, realized this after I've been back. We like we basically like I went about 4 days without seeing nighttime. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's isn't that crazy. That's true. <laughs> it's crazy. So, all right. Uh But the best part, no, can I tell you my favorite part? Oh yeah, yeah. The the sleep mask you had was the tiniest sleep mask I've ever seen for <laughs> your large head. It was awesome. <laughs> I know. And and it's awesome. I have to shame and humiliate our friend. When I got picked up from the airport, his car broke down. He was borrowing <laughs> Joe, his mom's car <laughs> and then his car Joe broke down. Joe was awesome. Joe, you yeah, were, yeah. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Uh yeah, and a big I'm thanking everyone out there. Uh that was a blast. Yeah, Joe, uh, Oriel, Elise. Yeah, Oriel, Elise. Teresa. Awesome. Teresa, um, what's her name and her daughter? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was just so much fun. Uh, so I'm thinking of Tracy, if that's your name. Um, a safari girl. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Tony. You know what I mean? Oh, Tony, that's right. Tony, Tony and Annabelle. Tracy, whatever. And then the best yeah, part Tony. was there was a, a guy there named John, and he was introduced is like, what was this thing? It was like John and Tracy oh, were a couple. Is, um, yeah, this is like Tracy's husband. Yeah. And so like, I started calling Tracy John's wife. For the rest of the week. <laughs> and they came to everything <laughs> we did. <laughs> I was like, I will never, I'm going to hold on to this. So, yeah. um, thank you guys. That was great. St. Louis, you're next. That's right. Uh, That's July right. July 23rd. We're going to be there with open arms. and uh, You better be there with and, open wallets. Yeah, I was about to say <laughs> open wallets. It's for you to put money into. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> open arms and open mouths to get that sweet, so, sweet beer. Speaking of money, can I make a proposal? Uh-oh. I'm writing My it down. My good friend? I'm writing it down. What's up? Can I make up? a proposal? So this, this episode is going to be released today, July the 30th. July, June the 30th. Wow, Luke, we had to botch this. Uh, you, you had one job, June 30th. I'm going to propose that the first 10 people during the month of July that become new patrons of ours at patreon.com slash CF, patreon.com slash CF, regardless of the, regardless of the amount, we'll get a, we'll, we'll uh, get like a thank you call from, the, from, from each of us. So you'll get two thank you calls or one combined call. The first 10 people on, on, who decide to give to us during the month of July We'll get a uh, we'll, I'll get a thank you call from the both of us. What do you think? Well, Luke, thank you for volunteering me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. I think that's a great idea. Oh, and that one thing we mine. we owe we owe Anthony uh, a no pants tickle party, which is a catching foxes uh, present that I sold to his fiance <laughs> I know what was that? I'm like, I don't understand what this is. So we sold it to him as Christmas. So they they gave us money and said we want you to call him and have like a twenty minute or ten minute chat with him, and I was like that's awesome and so we're gonna do it but we never heard from them from Christmas all the way until like uh, two weeks ago and so it's like okay we will do this I saw that I was like I guess I'm whoring myself out it's come to this it makes sense yeah no no that's it so that's it again that is uh, that is like patreon.com slash cf the first ten ten people to give during the month of July we'll get. Regardless of the amount, we'll get a thank you call from Luke and Gomer. 
I, I really wish you would have said Luke or Gomer, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Especially if you do it within the first week of July because of July 4th. My boss, this is why I love my pastor. He gave us a half day on July 3rd and the whole day off on July 5th. Oh, that's Aww, nice. That is That's nice. really cool of him. That's cool. Um, speaking of that, anyone on our – we're going to do 10-minute topics today. Is that okay with you? Sure. I actually have a topic. Oh. No, no, okay. no. But we can do 10 minutes. It can just be one of the topics. Look at you. Two weeks in a row, you, you're bringing topics. Well, so my deal is I want to be more invested in this show because I realize I love it more than anything. And if it goes away, <laughs> then I will be so sad. Take that, children. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, you're not wrong. <clears throat> you're not wrong. So um, look at that. Uh, do you feel like I haven't been stepping up to the plate in terms of content? Is that really it? No. <laughs> as long as there's no like follow-up questions, no, Luke. Do you, like, <laughs> do you like how I make it about myself? Yeah, and you should because it is. I have <laughs> been slacking. Kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Busy. I have I have a couple talks or topics, and you got some that we got from our uh, Patreon and Facebook, right? Both of them. Mm-hmm. Yes, but uh, if you are if you are a if you are a thirty dollar or more Patreon supporter, we are guaranteed to answer your ten minute. Um, topic so which again we don't take 10 minutes but um <laughs> i will put i will set up my timer and we will ignore it but i will set my timer yeah okay so, Luke, you get the first topic i'll do the second one okay what are your prescriptions for combating scrupulosity <clears throat> sorry the ocd debilitating kind asking for a friend uh, really quick, uh, Gomer, how would you define scrupulosity in 10 seconds or less? Uh, seeing sin where there is no sin um, and then becoming fixated on either a sin itself or the guilt associated with that sin. Yes. Okay. I, I have some thoughts on this, but okay. if you want to No, you to go start. first. You go first. So uh, I actually had – there's a great podcast on this on Pints with a Pints with Aquinas that he did with the Catholic Stuff You Should Know guys, which someone else makes a guest appearance on towards the end. Uh, won't say who. It was Luke. But It was Luke. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I had some thoughts. Let me in, Matt Frad. Let me in. Um, he was like, fine, okay. Uh, here's what I say. So it's about – like this ultimately comes down to con- – control and i think if it's really debilitating it's something worth seeking counseling for uh i would say also uh there are a lot of resources online especially as it relates to confession that is really i'm one of the hardest uh that's kind of like a a petri dish a petri dish for scrupulosity confession so i think having a good confessor who understands that that is a uh, cross of yours and can deal accordingly to go to that priest. If a priest can't handle that, um, or if they're you know if they're just making it worse, do not go to that that priest. Because again, I think that confession is just where it can really um, hurt a person. So, yeah, I think a lot of priests um, aren't trained in scr- how to deal with the scrupulous conscience because I think maybe a this might sound weird, but I think they have so much formation within seminary. You know, you got the formators, you have a spiritual director, you got finance people, or not finance, uh, student education people, that you, you're you governed by a lot of these things to help kind of keep you in check. Um, 
Whereas for lay people, we don't really have a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, Tr- Sherry Waddell had this great line where she said, where is my, she was speaking at the Na- North American College in Rome. She said, where is my house of, who are my formators? Where are my spiritual directors as lay people? And I thought that was a good point. But the reason why I think <clears throat> is I, uh, I, I knew this one guy who was telling me that there, he hears this often, that there'll be a person who will go to confession at his church and then go down the street the next day to another church and another church and another church. And he'll do that like four or five days a week. And then he'll come back to that church, the original church, the next week and say, it's been one week since my last confession. Like, that is a debilitating form of scrupulosity. Um, But one of the things that you need to do is you need to realize, number one, trust in the power of the sacrament. Just as when the hemorrhaging woman touched the garment of Christ and power immediately goes forth, so too does someone in faith approaching the sacrament of reconciliation truly have their sins forgiven. So for us to be like, well, I don't know if I was really forgiven. I don't feel forgiven. I struggle with this. You're denying the power of God and emptying the cross of its of its power when you keep going back to confession for the same sin if you haven't committed that sin again. Struggling with a sin that we've committed in our past might be an emotional issue for which counseling is appropriate. Um, scrupulosity becomes a spiritually debilitating thing when you get locked into a sin. And it becomes spiritually crippling when that being fixated on a particular sin, even if you're not committing it, when you're just tempted to it, causes you to despair, which is what the devil wants more than anything else. I would, the only pushback against what you just said, I agree with, but I, I think it scrupulosity doesn't exist because of the sin. Right. Like, the scrupulosity is... A separate, but I think most people who who okay in my experience, people who have who have scrupulosity, it's not about their sin. Actually, it's just this: it's the scrupulosity itself that is the problem. So it's not like they hone in on like a sin that they're doing. It's just that they're scrupulous in it, like individuals. So then everything becomes, um, you know, obsessive, if you will. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're saying it's not because I'm a chronic porn user that I become yes. scrupulous. It's no. I'm scrupulous, and when I look at whether it's my chronic porn addiction or or something I did once, I approach it with an air of scrupulosity. No, I'm saying that everything, be, if when it's at its worst, everything becomes scrupulous. So it doesn't even matter. Like. Like you might be, you might be scrupulous about your sin, but it's happening. But you're going to be, you're going to be, you, you are scrupulous in general. Yeah, and it and it might be manifesting in its sin, but that's not how it happens every time. Um, quite often, it's. Um, I mean, uh, I don't. Um, okay, Aaron, I think Aaron. So Aaron won't care if I talk about this because I I did it on pints with Aquinas. So Aaron. Aaron struggles with this uh, in some pretty intense. It's a pretty. I mean, and so this is like um, one piece of advice that I would say as well is people who don't who if if you don't understand this, if you don't understand how people can be like this, just understand that people are way different than you, which is another um, topic I have. <laughs> but that uh, this is a real cross for a lot of people actually. So 
there are times when Aaron will want to stay after mass to go up by where people received communion because she thought she saw some of the blessed sacrament or like I was, that was, that was on the ground. I mean, that's happened, you know, um, uh, like a lot or just um, different things like that. And so it's, it's, um, it's, I, I just I, I guess I would kind of push back against it being yeah. seen as like always relating to morality because it doesn't. Right. Um, it, it can manifest itself in like a lot of different ways. Did I say this um, confession? Did I say this um, a confession right? Did I, you know, um, blah 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 blah. So and would it, you uh, say this is more of a psychological issue or a spiritual issue? It's I I think, um, in my opinion, it is a psychological issue. Okay. So I'm not saying that uh, it doesn't manifest itself in spiritual ways because all I'm all issues are spiritual issues. You know, you can kind of yeah. go, go back to that, but more often than not, this is a psychological issue that I think requires some type of um, counseling at one point in time to give you the tools to handle that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's great. There is a book called Dealing with Scruples. I thought I had it here. Um, so I could give you the author, but um, I want to say it was a Jesuit author, an Ignatian spirituality kind of approach to it, dealing with scruples. Um, but the funny thing is, whenever they talk about dealing with scruples, they almost always have to say, if you are dealing with scrupulosity, you should not be reading this book. You should go yes. to spiritual direction with someone who's read this book. Yeah. No, I no. It's that's that's a thousand percent right. And, and like, um, Matt Fred said a thing when I was recording that podcast with them about how it was about control. And at first, I was like, I don't know if that's true. And then I asked Erin, then she goes, Oh, a thousand percent, yes. Oh, really? <laughs> like, and I was like, Oh, n- oh, never mind. Um, and it's and I don't mean control in the um. And see, this is where I think it's um, this is like more like a psychological issue because it's not that like I need to let God be God. That's that's not what's going on. It's this like, oh my gosh, I have to do something. Um, someone has to do something. Like um, the world is spinning out of control, and I need to like you know, or like I this is my this is where I can manifest some type of contr- control. But it's it's not control. Um, in my opinion, I don't. At least right now in this in this very moment, yeah. Um, I don't think it's control in the sense of I want to be the dictator of my own life. It's more of um, it's like an obsession. Like they almost feel like they have to. Like yeah. it's a compulsion. Yeah. So here, this is one definition from the book um, dealing with scruples. A scruple is then an exaggerated, unreasonable fear of sinning, where there in reality is no sin. This groundless fear of sinning causes doubt and trouble of mind. The scrupulous person becomes a prey to continual fear of sin, past, present, and future in the most innocuous circumstances. He is afflicted with endless doubt and mental anguish, causing a confusion of his judgment with regard to what is lawful and what is forbidden, between what is trivial and what is serious. His morbid fear of doing wrong only obscures his judgment and multiplies his doubts. And these, in turn, increase his fear so that he comes to take alarm from quite insignificant and unreasonable motives. Hmm. Yeah, so this is why like, I think one of the biggest things that I would recommend to people who uh, deal with this is don't follow a lot of spiritual people, a lot of Catholic thought leaders, yeah. or people who are posting Catholic stuff. Don't on, follow like, anyone from Franciscan on Twitter no, if they no, are current I've, people. <laughs> Yeah, I've told Aaron to like stop. I'm like, 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 I'm not gonna mention any 
any on the names, but if you think it's you, feel free to contact me. I told Aaron to stop like go to to, uh, to uh, stop like following certain people that we know because I'm like this like she couldn't handle it. Yeah. It was just getting in her head way too much, and I'm like this isn't healthy. Yeah, you know, and it's not. So it's like you know, don't if like. Um, you know, if this podcast, if, you know, Pints with Aquinas, if other Catholic podcasts are, you know, causing your scrupulosity <laughs> to get worse, like, feel free to just get rid of us for Let, a bit. Let's be honest. If you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, you're not struggling with scrupulosity. You're struggling with laxity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyways. Uh, Next topic, man. Good. We hit 10 minutes. That was about 11, actually. But that's okay. That's okay. All right, Luke. Here's my topic. You ready? Let's do it. Okay, I'm pushing start. Uh, I want to talk about marriage. I just celebrated my 10th year. How long y'all been married? Four years? Five years? I'm s- uh, almost four years. Okay. What were you about to say? S- I know I'm so happy for you guys. I was going to post it on, on to Facebook. Then I got distracted. Yeah. <laughs> then I got high. But I, but I really am um, happy for you guys. So Thank you. Congratulations to, to one of my favorite couples. Yay! Somewhere in the top 20. Um. We so me and Shannon, I think, have an excellent marriage. We have sex all the time; it's wonderful. We have four kids; they're, you know, pretty good. Uh, we have a, a, a nice, modest life. We get to homeschool with classical nerd stuff. It's awesome. There's a lot of things that I love about my life, and so me and my wife have been reflecting this morning. We were drinking some coffee, and we were talking about the role of communication in a marriage. Ooh. Interesting. And okay. she said this line that made me so happy. This is one of the reasons why I love my wife. And as my son just walks in, yes, yes, you did put water in your hair and chalk. <laughs> no, it's all good. Thomas just burst in. <laughs> Look at my hair. Um, <laughs> yeah, Thomas. Uh, he put chalk in his hair. Um, she said this. We can never say in a marriage, he or she should just know, dot, dot, dot. You should know how I like this, should know how I like that. And she said, if ever you have expectations in marriage that are not communicated, you've failed as a human person because you can't read each other's thoughts. you got to state your expectations. they got to be reinforced. And then it's got to become habit. And you can't hate your spouse because they can't read your mind. Now, we say stuff like this. My wife, this morning over coffee while we were waiting for you. This is exactly what was going on in my head at that same time while I was driving after we talked. Oh, really? That's so – yeah, this is the thing that I wanted to oh, – I'm talking about. Like, this was my other thing. Wow. So my whole thing with our marriage and when I think about the highest conflict, I would say me and my wife have had maybe four honest-to-goodness fights or, you know, intense arguments in, in the course of 10 years. And they were over stuff where – uh, it's not just about like, oh, I didn't communicate this or didn't communicate that. It was, it, it was like a failure to communicate clearly. And I remember one time she was like, you expect blah, 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 blah for me. And yet you don't even return blah, blah, blah for me. So you want the And I remember we were going back and forth and it was so heated. And then it like clicked like, oh, she doesn't understand. Like I haven't even told her what I've been doing in the background for this thing. And it's just the power of communication is like I'm a Gormley, Gormley man. We shut down. We stop talking. We walk away. She is not. She is a nice Midwestern girl who feels perfectly comfortable talking things through. I feel perfectly comfortable shouting things or else getting silent. And so that has been the bedrock 
of our marriage, I would say. Over communication. Yeah, you um so me and Aaron, we didn't get to like a fight this morning, but we had one of those typical um marriage scruffles where uh I you know, like long story short, um I just I thought I was doing this one thing and she's like, Wait, what? And I was like, Yeah, didn't you know? And she's like, No, and I was like and then I kind of realized I was like, Man, why am I having like a hard time with this? And it, it just hit me that like I'm just I ha- I it's especially once you're a couple years in, I think. It's really easy to think that like they just understand where you're coming from at, at all times. Yeah. And it is so tempting to think that how you think and how you operate is how the rest of the world thinks and, you know, operates. And that's just simply not true. And one of the thoughts that I that that I had this morning was I started I'm, I mean I'm 36 and I'm just now starting to truly understand that the way I react to everything or the way that I feel about it isn't reality or even how I should feel and react to it. It doesn't mean that it's the right way to do it. It's that there are plenty there are like thousands of other ways that I can respond to th- these different things. Yeah. So now it, it you know is reality in the sense that stuff is happening. But just because I feel a certain way doesn't mean that that's what's actually going on. Yeah. And when you don't communicate, and I'm trying, to, I think when you don't communicate about what's going on in your head or like what you're doing, it is so easy to get lost in your head and to lose touch with reality. Mm-hmm. Like if you, it's, it's 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 actually kind of interesting because if if you're not engaging with other people, if you're not you know truly like actively being in community as a like you kind of lose touch with what's going on yeah because you get too caught up in yourself yeah yeah and so with with me and my wife i'm trying to think of like different ways of communicating um and one of the reasons why we have to understand this is because of our beautiful daughter cecilia has generalized anxiety disorder so for her she doesn't have a fuse that exists at all she just goes from zero like totally fine ask mom and dad a question can i like this morning can i watch a tv show i said not until seven within uh within one second she was crying she had made fists and she clenched her teeth and she's like why can't we i mean immediately start doing that so We've had to, with our counseling and all this stuff, had to realize what we communicate, how we communicate, and all this stuff. But one of the things that has been the biggest learning curve for us is setting up expectations and keeping them, making them as explicit as possible, as clear as possible, and and maintaining them. So I can't just say to her, um, you know, I can't just change things up on her and be like, well, you just have to deal with it. Because she can't deal with it. And then when I start looking at this from the broader perspective of me and my wife's communication, the biggest thing is like, I mean, it can be over petty stuff, but petty stuff matters because if you're not faithful in small things, you can't be faithful in big things. So like when I understand my wife's approach to say cleaning versus my approach to cleaning. And expectations are understood. Like if my wife loves to clean, which she does. After dinner, she expects me 
to take the kids and to go upstairs so that she can clean and be by herself. If I just sat down on the couch or instead if I started cleaning and she never expressed it to me, there would be this like grinding point of contention. It can happen on small things. It can also happen with big things about like expectations around sex and all this stuff. And it took a kid with no fuse to teach me how I might have a very long fuse, go back to that British inheritance of being overly polite, um, but the, the, these like little, little stabs end up being self-inflicted because I haven't told her what I'm expecting. Now, the beautiful thing about my daughter that I've realized is she might not be able to control her emotions, but because of the work that we've done with her and the counseling, and we have these little books. If your kid suffers from anxiety, there's a wonderful book called like My Book of Worries and some other stuff. Um, she can identify the emotions she feels. She just can't control them yet. And I think that's huge. How many adults can't even identify the emotions that they're feeling while they're going through it? And I, I love that about my daughter. So I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Are you and your wife good communicators? Um, buh, 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 buh. Inherently, no. But for the most part, yes. Okay. So it um, it's something where I think we're both we can both just are kind of used to doing our own our uh, own thing. And I'm you know I'm pr- I'm a pretty selfish person. Yeah. And uh, Aaron is not, but uh, I think there is this element of. Um, it's not my first instinct to say, here's what I'm doing. It's just to like, in my mind, say, here's what I'm doing. And then, and then I'm going to live accordingly. And so, uh, we have to build things into it, but when it, but I think we're also pretty good at saying, okay, I need to communicate this right now or, or, you know, uh, pointing it out. Yeah. So it, it, it takes work, but we're doing the work is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So good. No, well, that's been 10 minutes. Awesome. There we go. We are, look at this, everyone. All right. Uh, I want to kind of maybe do like a quick speed round through a few of Ooh. the Patreon things because they're good, but I just only need to spend like uber yeah. amounts of time. Um, I feel, uh, This is from Joe. Again, Joe, get a better car. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> get a better car for your mom. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've, I've recently seen a big push in a lot of I mean, adult communities towards dating f- uh, fast, become kind of a... Uh, trend like it's good i'm I'm kind of paraphrasing here yeah but um is this trend coming from a sort of purity culture or scrupulous mindset having to do everything perfectly um before you're willing to be in a relationship i have i have no hard and fast opinions on this on this though your thoughts um your thoughts guys and then he has the a i'm question mark um yeah i i do think there's like Sometimes you actually do need to take a step away. I think if you have pornography addiction, you're coming out of a big relationship. It's not a bad thing to say, I need to take a step out of here and just kind of like breathe for a bit. Um, But I think you don't, for the most part, ever want to close yourself off to other people or to love itself. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I would say the problem with dating fast is they are so damn trendy in Christian circles, and they come back every few years. Um, when I was in high school, a book was written that the author now repudiates called I Kiss Dating with Goodbye, and we talked about that with Abigail Favalli on punching purity culture in the face. Um, 
But he talks about these types of things going on dating fast and whatnot, and they become popular. I would say, if especially if you're a younger single Catholic, um, you know, one friend of mine was saying, uh, I went on a dating fast. Lizzie Gormley, she was telling me this. She was like, I'm, I'm, she was talking with this, you know, impressionable 20 you know, year old college student. I'm going on a dating fast. And she just said, have you, are you, have you been dating a lot lately? And she's like, no, I've never gone on a date. And she's like, you're not on a dating fast, right? Like, you're just in a desert, right? You're not on a dating fast. The idea of it being trendy, I think, is stupid. Dating fasts are a good idea for people where they're, like Luke said, there's elements of your dating life that, or personal life that most presses upon real, intimate relationships or potentially intimate relationships that are out of control, right? Like, like a pornography addiction or something like that. If you can't find self-control when you're alone with a woman or with a man or whatever, and you're spiraling out of control, that's when dating fasts are appropriate. But I, well, but I, I wouldn't even say it's also out of control. I think there are times yeah. when, like, again, coming out of, like, a big, like, relationship or a yeah. thing or, you know, that's not necessarily, like, I think that's out of control. No, no, no. I just mean that's one of the considerations. Oh, okay, okay. Like, if yeah, you yeah. have – if you're really struggling with something and – Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, another yeah. thing is, like, with Focus, they make you do a dating fast when you're a – you know, I think it's, like, your first year as a missionary. I think that's very appropriate, right? Sobriety and dating or whatever. Um, I think that's very appropriate because you're trying to engage in a missionary lifestyle in an area where you might be tempted to want to date these people. But dating people you potentially are discipling can be very problematic because there's a power differential there, right? Like, I'm the one who's discipling you, and you're hot, and let's date, right? That that can yeah, be very... you easy. should never have that attitude. Right. <laughs> um, well, especially if you... If you uh, if, um, should you? I mean, I think there's... Probably not. I think there's room for it. Room for it, but yeah. But if you were for the church, no. I mean, if you work for the church, I don't think you should. But okay, so that's all. That's that's actually kind of an interesting t- topic. Um, I, I want to add to that. I think that the focus on. I think that the focus. I, okay, I don't know a lot about the f- the focus dating fast. However, I d- have heard some people that have that it's somewhat seem like they have a lot of th- a, a lot of thoughts about it. So. I, I just want to say, as a person who, again, doesn't know all of the details of that, so this is a specific comment on that. Um, if – I really think if you do any type of a dating fast, it should – it um, shouldn't be to make your dating better down the road. It should be just to get, like, the dating thing – it should be to kind of get that out of the way so you can pay attention and give yourself towards other yeah. – stuff yeah because i think with one major issue in catholic dating culture is we is that like we've just put um dating on this pedestal that it cannot hold and we and it, it is a false idol yeah and i would include a um, marriage with that and so if you do the dating fast to be able to give yourself more to whoever you date down the road you're doing it wrong yeah yeah, and I think there are appropriate times when you do dating seasons, right? Like it's not just dating oh, yeah. fast, but dating seasons. Like springtime when you're more horny because it's springtime. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking in particular of older singles who are committed to their faith, are, you know, like St. Paul, right? A single person is devoted to the Lord and how to please the Lord, whereas a married person is devoted to their wife or the the world and how to please their wife. And there's a, a, a very – that's like St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 making a very practical argument for singleness of which he was single. The idea is if you are single and all you're doing is drinking, consuming Netflix, and going to mass once a week, you're doing 
I think you have an opportunity for truly living out a beautiful vocation in a different way, and you're wasting it. Uh, you have seasons of your life where you can do a lot more for the church without the church having to pay for a, an employee. Like, you can be an excellent volunteer on the side or wh- whatever. There's a lot of stuff that you can do. A lot of older singles will despair, especially if they're in their 40s and 50s of, you know, ever finding someone, whatever, and they kind of get in this rut of, like, I'm just off the market. And I think there should be times where you are more committed to dating people and then times when you are less committed and more committed to ministry type stuff. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Okay. I like it. Uh, do you have anything nope. Anything else? Uh, here's a here's a quick one from our good friend Betsy, who we've talked to you once. Uh, you like how I just call people good friends after we have like one good yep. conversation with them? It's I all love it takes. that about me. It's all it takes. <laughs> Did either of you happen to watch the show or or um, listen to the Chernobyl podcast? If so, did it um, did it remind you a teensy bit of of working for the church? If not, what are you watching on the listening to that kept you from Chernobyl? I I'm a, I I'm need a new podcast recommendation and not fired. <laughs> uh, Respect. Chernobyl is a phenomenal TV show. I love it. Uh, we've me. Uh, I heard about it from our buddy John. Uh, I watched it once. Aaron and I did. So freaking good. We're actually going through it again. I just downloaded the first episode of the podcast as well. So, do you know what podcast I've been listening to, Gomer? Last night. Are you ready? I'm ready. Every knee shall shall bow. <gasps> did you listen to the episode oh. where I talk about you? I. Uh, the last one. It was the most recent yeah. one. I for like I don't remember you talking about me too much though. No, no, but I talk about your Pelagian concept. Oh, you that was me you were referring to. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the whole show was driven by that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, I'm gonna re-listen now. No, but it was very good. Uh so there's that. I have my sports podcast as always, Total um, Soccer Show. For those of you that are real into soccer, it's the best uh, soccer podcast out there. Don't tell me you are into soccer podcasts if you don't listen to it. And I, I'm, you know, I've actually kind of, um, I miss the Nerdist podcast, man. I'm having a hard time with this. I really do. I, I this was a, I, um, I just miss it. You know, I really miss that the host dynamic. I miss, I'm listening to them. I really miss podcasts that talk about entertainment in that way. I feel like it doesn't really exist anymore. Everything is, or there's like almost t- too much of it now, and there isn't one that's just really, really good. So, oh well. I uh, did not watch Chernobyl. Um, I'm going to tell you why. Our friend Katie Prejean, after Game of Thrones had ended, texted us and said, you have to start watching Chernobyl because it's on HBO now. Um, you have to watch Chernobyl. You'll love it. And I, that's when, and we talked about this a little bit um, when it ended. I don't want to get into a new show. I don't, I don't want to. And it's so easy for me to. But I'm doing Exodus 90. Can't do that. Can't just sit around sit around and watch TV. So I use that as an excuse to just completely remove myself. Now, every single human person apparently has watched this show and is raving about the, like the morality of it. The self-sacrifice that some of these people exhibited yeah, is just incredible. Unparalleled. And, um, one Russian guy was explaining to his Russian daughter who she didn't believe it. She thought it was just, like, total fiction. And he's like, no, people really did die to save other people. And she's like, people would never do that today in Russia. And he's like, people won't really do that today in a lot of places. And so it's just fascinating. 
um, hearing the kind of surrounding conversations. But I never, I never looked at it because I am consciously trying not to get co- uh, hooked on another show. And then I discovered pitch meeting on <laughs> on YouTube. 150 pitch meetings. Now they're all three minutes long, and I watch them at double speed. But I, it's like it's the same thing, just manifesting itself in different. No, forms. I know this is why I'm telling you, Exodus 90 is great because you reveal your idols. I'm like, well, look at this tiny little idol named Pitch Meeting, a three minute funny video that I'm watching, and it's now four o'clock in the morning, and I just flew in from Alaska. Consume my thoughts. I don't want to have to embrace the world. <laughs> There is so much beauty, but so much ugliness and pain. <laughs> John Wick 3 instead of mountains. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of uh, what new podcasts I'm listening to, uh, that's a not fire. Um, what did I just listen to the other day? Oh, now I'm going to have to pull it out. Um, that's what he said. Oh, I listened. <laughs> whoopsies. Whoopsies. I listened to, um, and actually this was going to be a topic of the show. I listened to. Jordan Peterson interviewing Bishop Barron, which was finally released on Jordan Peterson's talk show or podcast. So I haven't listened to any other episodes, but that's about an hour and 30 minutes, something a little bit less than that. And uh, I listened to that, yes, on double speed because people people are insufferable. It is incredibly insightful. It is incredibly insightful, especially because I joined it to reading um, completely – coincidentally or god incidentally uh i read an article from franciscan georgetown professor of political science named joshua miller and he wrote this article called why conservatives don't get identity politics something like that and it was fascinating i i loved it i loved how it was written then there's another one called dead conservative memes won't help us or something like that that someone else sent me and um they are excellent at talking about identity politics. And then I went from that because one of the things they talk about is justice and versus mercy and where identity politics is built on this Christian foundation that's now post-Christian. So instead of Christ, who's the innocent one who saves, they juxtapose permanent transgressors, the white heterosexual male, with permanent victims. And then he says, as you create these permanent victims, the victims have to be understood as perfectly innocent and the transgressors as perfectly evil or totally evil. So that, and, but unlike Christianity, there's no forgiveness. There's only more victims. And so, um, but then you find that once you've exhausted that pool of victims, you need to find another, uh, another um, transgressor. And so next he says it's going to be white women, and you're already seeing that in feminist circles and race circles. And then next it's going to be black men. And he just talks about how you see these trends in victimization. But he uses this, I, I don't know, I, th- I found it funny, and then, or I found it interesting. And then Bishop Barron and Jordan Peterson were talking about this in terms of justice and mercy and how the Cohen brothers illustrated it perfectly with the movie True Grit. Did you see that movie? Oh, yeah. I love True Grit. It's not their best, but sure. I know. I loved it because, I, I mean, like, I love Westerns, <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah. and I loved yeah. the little girl, the main girl, the main protagonist of the movie. And they said that she represents pure justice, right? She wants to get revenge for her father's unjust death, and so she's going to hire this guy to go out and bring these criminals to justice, and it costs her her arm, right? And so j- justice and mercy, ever since the prodigal son, always been depicted as the two arms of God, justice and mercy. You can't have one without the other. If you do, it's distorted. So even while the body count is racking up all around this little girl, she doesn't care. She's pursuing justice. 
And it isn't until she gets bit and loses her arm that the man with two arms, the, the rooster Cockburn or whatever his name is, has to save her using, and he represents a lawman, justice, but also mercy. And it was just so fascinating the way, like, all of these things tied together in literally, like, 24 hours. So that podcast, that episode at least, is well worth a listen. Nice. Nice. That was long-winded. Um, that was, like, literally 10 minutes. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. There's currently some debate in conservative Catholic. Sorry, this is from uh, this is another question. Do you got a name? Preface that uh, from um, Moria, uh, or they from, called um, it a mine, mine, a mine. <laughs> Probably, uh, is it Mora or Moria? I think it's Mora. I I apologize. Oh. Uh, it's eleven thirty. I'm tired. I'm not at all. There is currently some debate in conservative Catholic circles about how to fight the cultural war, the cultural war, and possible encroachments on freedom of religion. Do you think Catholics should be more aggressive in the public sphere, or or, or focus on maintaining and strengthening our own communities? Ooh, yeah. So that's the argument of essentially how active do we get into the public square versus the Benedict option? Because the Benedict option is like. Still do public square stuff, but really build the Christian community. Like, the emphasis should be on building and strengthening the Christian community because it's from that that we will change the culture. As opposed to the 90s where we invested heavily in the religious right and the moral majority trying to affect legislation while letting our faith communities completely collapse. Yeah. Um... I actually kind of don't think you can do one without the other. Yeah. I don't think you can strengthen your own community without um, – <clears throat> sorry. Which I, I think you can kind of say this is one reason why the religious right, quote-unquote, lost. Um, I don't think you can strengthen your community without <clears throat> – sorry about that uh, – without caring about the public sphere. I cough into the microphone like, like a good podcaster. Um <laughs> The danger isn't in the either or, but it's when one becomes an idol and doesn't have its proper place. So if you care more about, uh, you know, gay marriage being illegal than you do about people who I, who identify as gay, like it's become an idol. Like like the actual person itself. Yeah. You know, if if you're not engaging with people around you, because of their because of the, because of their sexuality, and you're trying to push this stuff, like I mean, I know I mean it's kind of I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't be trying to push for things that are good and right and and just, but like they can become um, like why are you doing it? Are you doing it out of um, love for God and man, or are you doing it because? And it's very easy to do this about anything yeah. because it's become an idol. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, um, I don't think there is a Christian community today. I think it is, I think Catholicism just got swept up in modernity, just like everything else. Um, You know, I question whether there was Christian community even when there was Christendom. Um, The idea of, like, we cannot understand who we are. To use your quote from earlier, in the end, everything is a spiritual issue. We cannot understand who we are without community. Christ said, where two or three are gathered, I'm in your midst. Um, 
you know, all men will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Like, the Christian community is meant to be something different than I know and like a handful of people that I go to church with. For instance, I had a friend who said he's going to live in an intentional community, like a mustard seed type community. He did it for a few weeks, and then he said, nope, I'm out of here. I can't stand so-and-so, and I could never imagine living my life where I have to see that person for multiple hours a day. To which a friend of mine who was a monk <laughs> commented, that's the most absurd things. I can't stand half the people in my monastery. But you mm-hmm. make the decision, that's what intentional is, to live in community. So I think the problem of, J.D. Flynn corrected me one time. He said, there's always a place for the public and the legal fight to occur. As, because we believe that not only are we carrying forward the gospel, but also the natural law and a right interpretation of morality. And so the idea is we have a duty to our neighbor to defend certain positions. Straight marriage, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. We also have a duty. So that's important. And we also have a duty to our household of faith, our fellow brothers and sisters. So I, I struggle with the fact that I don't think we have community. So the Benedict option is appealing because it's saying we need to take a priority now on building Christian community because the government is going to strip us of everything else later. Whereas other people say, no, if we fight it now, the government won't get that bad. But I, I, I really do believe classical liberalism is dead. The tolerance aspect, I think that's dead. I don't think that's coming back. I think it's a, the Dave Rubens and the Joe Rogans and the intellectual dark web people. They're all classical liberals. They're left leaning classical liberals. They're the, you know, the George Washingtons and the, and the Thomas Jeffersons, right? They might not like things and agree with things, but dog, doggone it, if it doesn't break my leg or pick my pocket, you should be fine. Very libertarian view. But they are not, like, they are a dying breed in, in overall involved in politics. And so I, I don't see classical liberals winning the day in the, in the ultimate future. So if we aren't building community, you know, we're all going to be losing our jobs. I, I, that's why the Benedict Option is persuasive to me because I feel like unless we intentionally choose to love our fellow brother or sister in the household of faith in 10 years, we all might be out of a job. How are we going to sustain this? Yes. You're not wrong. I'm never wrong. I I would, I would, the one thing I would add to that though, is that Christian, like Christian, community implies a desire for like the good and the just right that's what i said we also carry morality with us like the natural law yeah yeah, yeah. No, I, well, no. damn it luke you said well i'm never mind <laughs> huh what i said you said well you're not wrong but and then you well, yeah, no, I, I wasn't it wasn't gonna be about you it should be about me I, luke it's i should probably way. say in addition to that there you go that's an excellent way to communicate your expectations in addition to that, married? <laughs> practically out of the way, Shannon. Um, I've been here longer. Uh, if if you didn't love Gomer during his Deftones hat wearing dates, have you ever really loved Gomer? Um, you know, like I think a lot about our friend, uh, our our buddy Greg, and uh, during the whole Covington. Catholic thing, not to get into any of the Twitter stuff, <laughs> but when that happened, before we knew a lot of the context, he brought up a really good point, and he goes, like, you know why this is such a thing that really gets 
a lot of black people like myself going is because of this. And, you know, he and he shared an image of um, uh, black people in a, um, a diner back in the 1950s being intimidated by white people. You know, yeah. we're not that far. My, that was at the time when my mom was born, uh, one or two generations before that black people are being lynched. And we've inherited the cultural of residue of that. And right. I, and I, and like, I totally agree with what you say about some of the Jordan Peterson stuff or whoever, how like they were, I'm talking about like, here's what internal like, victimization and internal, I'm like victimizer, like what this looks like. Here's why it's bad. My concern is so often people who want to be a part of the Christian community, they cling to that stuff without acknowledging the lack of institutional oh sorry of cultural justice right 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 so yeah. and, and and the sense of well these people are acting like they're always the victims so i'm out it's almost and it's like but like are is the thing that they're like they're cuz there really there are two different things going on there um there is one there's some um, wrong that has occurred. Has there been some wrong that that has occurred in the past? Is there some cultural issue that needs to be addressed, some cultural lack of justice or whatever? Um, so a thing like institutional um, like racism or something like that, yeah. is that real? And we're really trying to understand that. And then the way that people are reacting to that, are we, are they reacting to that? In a good and just way. Yeah. Those two things don't necessarily always line up. Right, right, right. Right. You know, and, and I think that's kind of where I think sometimes we forsake the justice issue because we don't like how people on the hard left are reacting to it. And, and because of that, we choose the Benedict option because it's easier to just not deal with it. Yeah. Well, I would say one of the the major things with that is there is no forgiveness. See that that's the key, and that's yeah, yes, that's yeah. The key. it's yep. like okay, I, I I believe in institutional racism. I I believe in a, a lot of the things that me and Greg have talked about. That you know, you see the sexism and the racism in institutional ways, in in all these different ways. Okay, maybe we might disagree on. The way that is, like, how prevalent it is, how minimalized it is, whatever. Okay. One thing that's not happening, like, for instance, what's that actress's name, uh, Elizabeth? Uh, Glenn, what is Glenn name? Close. <laughs> Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. No, <laughs> Elizabeth. This is how stupid Elizabeth Hathaway. Yeah. Anne Hathaway. <laughs> Anne Hathaway said she wrote out a tweet, and I might have brought this up on the show, but uh, and this black guy named Eric July, who's a libertarian, he was reviewing it on Twitter, and she said, you know, like, we need to understand that black men live every single day in fear for their lives from police. And then he comes on. He's like, no, I don't. Like, you, that is not at all true. You are turning me into a child. That is not a Yes, when I drive through town and there is a cop, I know I might get pulled over. I don't think this cop is going around. I don't think there are just teams of police hunting me down, trying to kill me. And that's what you're making it sound like. So the funny thing is... There are levels on the far left that are so distorting the hurt. Now, I'm not saying that, that 
you know, slavery, which led to Jim, uh, Jim Crow, which led to, um, you know, what do they call them? Red, redlining, districting, all that stuff. Germ- yeah, yeah, Those yeah. are real. Those destroy things like generational wealth and all that. Um, the problem is there is no forgiveness on the far left of from the victim to the transgressor. And that's what makes it violently anti-Christian. And so I think the answer to the, like, like what people say all the time, the way to heal white and black division is for white people to listen to black people and for black people to listen to white people. And once you begin talking about your experiences and your past and your views, you suddenly find out that you're human and that you love each other and that Christ is the Lord of both of you. But if you don't have that community, right, if you aren't actively seeking out those who are other than you, they will always be other. But I only think it's Christ who can make the two become one, who can destroy that dividing wall of hostility that separates. And the only way he can do that is if two people are willing to enter into the forgiveness. But if, if, you, if your whole worldview is predicated on this past transgression, America, I mean, we literally call it America's original sin, slavery. And then in Europe, it's colonialism, right? Those two things are unforgivable to certain people. So the transgression is still happening. Not not new transgressions, which I'm acknowledging with institutional racism and all that. But the old transgression is unforgivable and is predicated on those who had nothing to do with it. But there's still... And so I agree. This is where I'm at, right? This is, this is kind of where I'm struggling with this question. I mean, and I have been for a while, not not in terms of the conversation or how you or any of like um, your thoughts. Uh, I like that what you said. It's it feels, though, that on the Christian right, that's what some people want. Like they say, it's not my fault. I didn't I didn't um, do this. And I'm like, I agree. Like, I didn't do any of this stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. we need we need a mercy, but what does justice look like in this case? Right, you know, and I don't know. But my concern is that with things like the Benedict option, we want the mercy, but not the justice. Because even with confession, we you know we receive mercy. There's still all injustice, though. Christ on the cross, and and that might be the only you know that might ultimately be the. I mean, of course, Christ, that's where Christ does reconcile all things in and to Himself. So we need to bring that to the cross. But that then implies that there are real concrete things that happen to because you know, like um, justice is a reality; it's a thing. What does that look like? Yeah. Well, you know, we because- have an example of it that really happened, and it, it, it happened in a way that was ten times worse than anything that happened in America because it happened literally 27 years ago or whatever. But Nelson Mandela and his fight against apartheid, right? So his entire group of people fighting apartheid were labeled as terrorists. And that's why propaganda has that great long, great line. Uh, It's a shame that no one listens to you, to you until somebody throws a Molotov, right? Like no one is listening in power until the powerless get violent then all of a sudden now they'll listen but now we've robbed ourselves of our guilt-free position right we are innocent victims you are torturing us killing us arresting us taking our land limiting our options just because of our skin color 
And then who cares? We don't care. We don't care. We don't care. If someone throws a Molotov, all of a sudden everyone's a terrorist and blah, blah, blah. But Nelson Mandela, in a very real way, he did what they set up after he's freed from jail, a group called Truth and Reconciliation. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, I don't think so. Here's my 30-second explanation. Essentially, they were like courts where people who engaged in the white supremacist violent action against blacks were almost like put on trial, and they self-accused. They confessed what they had done, and then they were forgiven. Right? These were people who actually robbed land from black owners. These were people who committed acts of violence or who you know did all sorts of things and it was it was the most christ-like gospel-centered thing that could happen at a government that was conceived in reaction to in violence reacting to violence and he built these things cuz he knew that violence could not solve it that that there would never be a a unified country if now there was a new group of victims and victimizers so he had to figure out a way to make justice meet but to also have reconciliation. And I see this in the person of Immaculee Ilibagiza, who her people were slaughtered in Rwanda. And I saw a picture of her hugging the man or her arm around the man that macheted her brother to death. Like this is going to keep happening. The Tutsi and the Hutu, whether in your Burundi or Rwanda is going to keep happening unless something intervenes where forgiveness can happen. But the problem with forgiveness, and this is what I, I tell me if I'm wrong, you were saying like there are people on the Christian right who want to almost like they want the forgiveness to almost pretend like nothing happened in order to move on or they don't want to address the institutional effects of those things and absolve themselves. The latter, I think there's that. And then also the idea that like, okay, so if, you know, if I kill a person, their family can't forgive me. I'm still going to jail right for that. I should still go to jail. And because that's the justice piece. So you have, you, you know, like have the mercy where you have the family, you have the victims who say, I forgive you for what you did, but they still have to go to jail because, again, that's real justice. That's the thing. Uh, um, the mercy doesn't mean the absence of justice. Right. So when you have that culturally, what does justice look like? Like that's that's what – so I, I think like, again, that like when um, Nelson – a Mandela thing like that's good, but do they like who then gets those lands? What happens to that? And I think a lot of Christians don't want to enter into that because that contradicts this like whole like American capitalistic me like me and my own. That's all I have to care about mentality. You know, so it's like the propaganda song that we were I'm talking about over the weekend with that. That's like him like him and like Lecrae. Yeah, and you know he has that line where where he says it's um it's I'm not like we always care, we were always upset with Planned Parenthood, and then it just you know um I'm, I, I don't, well, he basically says yeah we're line. all against Planned Parenthood but are are you are you for babies outside the womb or black womb. babies yeah, outside like, the womb yeah do you yeah and you know it and and I understand how like I do think being this whole quote unquote um woke thing can just be exhausting and you know and there's all this stuff that like i have issues with a lot of how like all that's addressed as well but i feel like over the past five years my heart and my mind have been really open to like but these are some real issues that yeah. we have to deal with yeah. and just i'm um, saying that people's responses are wrong doesn't make it go away right you know 
or even if we forgive people who did this stuff, it doesn't like what does I don't again, I'm, I'm still like not sure what justice looks like. Yeah, well, you think about this with Native Americans, right? Like we stole their land and we put them on reservations and we pay them money now and there's uh, reparations that are happening directly as a result of of the U.S. government stealing their land. There was a, the U.S. government as an entity confiscated their land. Not just, I mean, you can buy land and you might buy it at a steal, which is what they did with a lot of them, but it's different than the U.S. government just conquering and taking. Uh, and the, like, a mass displacement. And, yeah, you know, all, all, the, all the like horrors, that, yeah. all the horrors, right? So how do you get past it if you're, con- like, if you're constantly, because that's a debt. See, this is the power of sin. I think things like slavery yeah, oh, and totally. colonialism and, you know, the confiscation of Native American land and forced, you know, the forced marches, trail of tears. Like, this is the reality of sin that it doesn't just affect an individual. It reverberates throughout time for and the, communities. History. Yeah. 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 Which is why it was important for Pope John Paul II to literally apologize and ask forgiveness for the Crusades. Like, that is an important thing because he represents the entity that was for it from which the evils happened. But to then come up to me because I'm a Catholic and blame me for the Crusades doesn't make any sense because I don't represent the whole thing in any yeah. sort of official capacity. Because then how can – because right now – so here's here's an interesting thing that you probably know about this more than I um, – when the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, the the Emperor um, Franz Ferdinand, when he, or, yeah, Franz Ferdinand, no, um, Joseph Ferdinand, Ferdinand, right? Yeah, yeah, Ferdinand. He's he was a duke who was who was the guy who was killed that started the First World War. That that it was the match that the the spark that right. um, lit the catastrophe that was right. There. Yeah, he was visiting that part in 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 what was in Serbia. Yeah, he was visiting there when they were having the 800th commemoration of them losing their independence to the what is now what was then known as the Austria-Hungarian Empire and the assault happened on that day so here is the foreign power coming to rub their nose in it and it was an 800 year old hurt right that they were still commemorating right they they say about this about arabs that arabs have long memories meaning if if i were to say that i'm a roman catholic and you were to speak to a devout um, Sunni Muslim in, like, Saudi Arabia, they will say things like, oh, so you're a crusader, right? If you, When the Pope went to the, the mountain, Mount Athos, where the Greek Orthodox Church head of it is, uh, the, uh, the Greek Orthodox patriarch kicked out a monastic order because they said, why would you let the crusader come to our, our, our shores? Right, so like long memory, but where does the forgiveness enter, so that we can move yeah. beyond? Because I don't want to move beyond. This is what I think forgiveness should do. Forgiveness doesn't say the sin doesn't matter. Mercy doesn't say it doesn't matter. It's not permission. It's not saying what you did was okay to me or what you did to my people. Like I enter into this when we talk about Ireland, and I talk about the British. Like there was a time I had a friend who just had a license plate that said IRA on it, and I was like, "Hell yeah, bomb them all!" Because I had I'm just a stupid high school student and didn't know anything. But this whole idea of like hating the British kind of feels okay to me or the English or whatever because I'm Irish, 
And it's like, well, you know, they've done so many injustices to my people. And, you know, in a lot of ways you could say they're still doing it with the situation in the North and all that stuff. But, like, when can, when can life and forgiveness and reconciliation happen again? I don't, I don't know. But I, I feel like the left, the reason why people are getting exhausted with identity politics is there is no way out from transgressor and innocent victim. There's no way out. And I, I feel like that is not only untenable, but that is exactly what Gandhi said. If you live by an eye for an eye, the whole world will be blind. And it's like we're in the business of blinding people. I mean, this is ultimately the danger of a post-Christian world. And I'm, I don't – And this is, but here's the thing. It's not just I, – I, I feel like I have to be the token – I'm liberal here. I'm not – I'm trying to be. This is just stuff that's in my mind That's that's been on my mind. Like it doesn't just blind the left. It's like people on the right as well because they want to truly like not enter into the pain of another person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I, 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 I think it's it it is the result of the heresy of Americanism. You don't matter. I don't have to really do this. I just have to take care of me and my own. Oh yeah. What what only matters is what I produce, and let's get back to work and blah. Yeah, yeah, and let you know, and it's um, I don't have like, um, like my I'm a faith in God doesn't demand much out of me. It's it's almost like I think this is um, I don't agree with this, but I understand why some people on the left think that people like us reduce Catholicism to morality, and I don't agree with that, but I can understand that sometimes because everything is viewed through this lens of like personal sin yeah as opposed to um like the true the as opposed to like other things <laughs> like like the, like the church and god i guess is what i'm saying i think there's a danger in not understanding the heresy of americanism and how that has impacted us and our views and our like outlooks like okay so just like in the sense that when you say that I have like English heritage, so or I have British heritage, so I'm going to be polite and not talk about things that are upsetting me, uh, or the fact that we think um, the German words sound ugly and you know like French words sound um, nice, that goes back to the 11th century. Yeah. That's a thousand um, year old cultural idea that we've just in that we we have inherited. <clears throat> I wonder how much of this Protestant like American idea of manifest destiny impacts what i view to be right and wrong yeah you know so it's it's, it's like why do people i'm sorry I'm, I'm this is probably me just starting to i'm rambled now so i'll just you know like end with this pope francis confuses the shit out of me we've talked about that right. on multiple times but the bottom line he's the pope yeah and we have to follow like and kind of respect what he says so if he wants us to care about the environment right now, we have to care about the environment because that's what the Pope is asking of us. <laughs> and if you question that because it doesn't fit in well with your cultural or, you know, political ideas, like that's Americanism. That's a, that's heretical. That's just as bad as, you know, plagiarism or like anything else. You know, that's that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. But you also have to hold that in juxtaposition to ultramontanism. Which is like, oh, oh, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't care what my local bishop says. I don't care about my own baptismal dignity. I'm going to put all of my theological thinking and just rest it in the judgment of this very fallible man who, in ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, is not acting infallibly, right? Like 
Neither was Pope John Paul II. As new priestly scandals come out and you realize the inaction or lack of awareness of kind of what was happening in the papacy of JP2, you discover that, okay, well, he wasn't perfect and he wasn't infallible and impeccable, right? JP2 was not impeccable. He's not God. He's not Christ. He was an amazing pope and I think he's a, you know, a saint and I'm glad to have uh, seen him live and all that stuff. But the other thing is, um, yeah, I just think that there's that balance there of the backlash against Pope Francis. Like CDNA was, it was really funny. Someone, you know, people criticize CDNA for being right wing and all that stuff and being anti Pope Francis. And JD Flynn constantly says on Twitter, this is coming at a news organization that has summaries of his homilies every day that publish weekly his prayer intentions. Uh, that follow his journeys, the, all that gets ignored because we publish one opinion piece a month that might be negative, you know, about the Vigano letters or about this or about that. And it's like all of a sudden all of that just gets thrown away. I, I do think, I, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Anywho, let's move on to a different topic. <laughs> that was, I did not think it was going to go that long. <laughs> Shit, 25 minutes on that one. That's just us saying, here's what's on my mind. Uh, <laughs> Discussion over instruction, over yeah, intelligibility. <laughs> Sometimes it's a, that's like... The danger, though, when you discuss this stuff is it can just go around and around and around and around and around. And it's just like at some point in time, you just have to go, OK, I'm going to trust in God and like always like seek him, seek him, seek him first yeah. and do my best. <laughs> yeah. How about this? Uh, I got a short one for you. Short one. OK, go. Father Jonathan Morris left the priesthood. Do you know who this guy is? He was a was he a Jesuit? No, or no, no. A He's a legionary. Uh, he, I mean, same thing, just one's on the left and, like, I'm one on the right. <laughs> I mean, they are named after military orders. He left. He was a Fox News contributor. He was, uh, you know, author of a lot of books. He was a fine and upstanding man. Uh, he is not thrown out because of misconduct, thrown over the, under the bus to solve problems for his superiors. He didn't fall in love with a woman that he wanted to marry. He didn't father a child or live a double life. He just wants out. And his statement is he never should have become a priest in the first place. Now, this is from Father Raymond D'Souza on uh, National Catholic Register. And he writes this statement, and this doesn't shock me, but it still makes me sad. Uh, he revealed that while he was a seminarian, he had a short, intimate relationship with a woman. And he told his superiors then that he wanted to leave formation. Instead, Father Morris, then a legionary of Christ, so he became a diocesan priest in New York, um, was sent to Mexico to meet with the order's founder, Father Maciel, the master Ooh. fraudster, prodigious in his own criminality and corrupt to his very core, saw nothing wrong in Jonathan being tempted to live a double life. He told Jonathan to stay and advanced his priestly ordination two years. Whoa. So, and this is how Father D'Souza says it. So Jonathan became Father Morris in an environment of brutal malformation, and despite all that, lived an apparently happy and fruitful priesthood. He crossed paths in Rome as seminarians, and media work brought him together. He eventually left the Legion for the Archdiocese of New York. They chit-chatted, all that stuff. So it came out of a bolt of the, out of the blue to him, Father D'Souza, um, when this guy made this announcement. And uh, he said... This is a great, uh, a pretty intense line. 
Uh, I cannot think of my disappointment as anything but the fitting response, and Morris concedes the same. Indeed, he expected just that. My fear of disappointing people's expectations of me have always held me back from taking this step. So he felt like he was shoved into the priesthood, and then he never wanted to disappoint people, so he was doing all these things, and now we realize, oh, dear God, I should never have become a priest. I'm bailing. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, It makes me sad. Yeah. You know, as a person who, again, not in the Legionnaires or not in RC, but has a lot of strong ties to that group and a lot of people who I love and admire who are a part of it or who were a part of it. Um, like, my first thought is like, well, where was God during that? That's just like my, that's just a, that's just a juvenile response, but one I think is worth um, contemplating and trying to understand. I, um, it just sucks, man. That sucks. Because that's that guy's whole life. I mean, how old is he? I don't know. Probably in his forties. Could you imagine that? Yeah. Like that's 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 pretty much you at that age, just being like, "I'm going to leave Shannon because of you know all this stuff." But then, I mean, they brought him to Father Marcel, who's a effing monster. Yeah. Who at the time they treated like an effing saint. Yeah. Ugh. Like my wife, after the news about Father Marcel started breaking. My wife met uh, a person who was in RC, and she said, you know, like, all this will pass, and he'll be canonized as saint, you know. Uh, I would, five years after his death, will regard him as a great saint. All saints go through this period of persecution, even by the church. And it's like, no, he's a monster. Yeah. I remember I, I had a hard time understanding that when I until I spoke with a person about it who I really had who I really admired and respected. And while she was talking about it, just how devastating it was to hear those things yeah. and to learn that, it it was like, man, this would be like if John found this out about John Paul II. If I found out that John Paul II, like that he raped people, that he hid people, that he, you know, he quite um, literally had a double life where he, you know, had kids and he had mistresses that he, you know, used church funds to pay for. And now I don't think John Paul, II, I think, the signs were there with this guy. I don't think the signs obviously weren't there for for John Paul II. Uh, it just makes me sad. It makes me really, really sad. And it's just, uh, where is God in this stuff? Well, so Raymond D'Souza, he, he's arguing that Morris should still stay a priest. He's like, I understand what he's saying, that he was, that this was not really uh, something that was chosen but was imposed upon. And he says, living under the twin burden of manipulation and fear can be onerous, even crushing. The joy of which Morris now speaks is in part due to that burden being, at least for now, lifted. He said, but there are burdens, often undeserved, that accompany every path in life. The priesthood is no exception. And the burdens of our life are not without blessings. Many have written upon hearing the news that they wish the soon-to-be Mr. Morris well. Of course, who doesn't? But I wish he would have stayed. And his whole thing is saying, I'd rather... I'd rather die an unhappy priest than let my down my family, my students, my parishioners, the church, in search of a happiness perhaps elusive elsewhere. Well, and that's that's a hard part. Like, right? Is yeah. if you have, I, of course, the ideal. I mean, but yeah, it's so man, it sucks because in our culture, we're called to not put up with crap. Just go if you if your life if it stinks, go start another one. It's very easy to do that. Um, and quite often it, it seems like it's the right thing to go and do. 
Um, and it's tough to ask the question now, is it? Is it really the right thing to go and do? But then when your whole half, when your whole adult life and, and quite often you're from, you know, adolescence onward is ingrained in this corrupt. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it. I think that the Legionnaires, it's very hard to say up until everything comes crashing down that the organization itself wasn't corrupt. Now, there are great people. God used it. God moved. God worked. Good things still came. I mean, it's almost like a testament to God's existence that such good stuff came out of it. But then this guy, like, when you're the result of that and everything, like, and, and sorry, and you come out of that, and the result is, like, you don't, you weren't ever really able to make your own choices. I don't know how you can ultimately say no to the opportunity to, to kind of start over. Yeah. He says, uh, so Father Morris or Morris, Mr. Morris, whatever, I don't know what you call him. Uh, he's saying that he's following God's will for his life right now. And he says, we cannot know that, of course, but I'm uneasy about the claim. I have no reason to doubt that Morris has concluded that leaving the priesthood is God's will for him. But I think listening with respect, it should make us uneasy. And then he said, he quotes JP2, the priesthood is forever. Thou art a priest forever. We do not return the gift once given. It cannot be that God who gave the impulse to say yes now wishes to hear no. And so he's saying even if that was a less than sincere yes, the burden of it, like our Lord said, you didn't choose me, I chose you, so maybe, uh-oh, uh-oh. So he's just saying we, we should be uneasy to pull the trigger on, like, even though there was manipulation and fear and doubt, and I'm not discounting any of that. And Father Moore, uh, Father uh, D'Souza's, he's like, I didn't experience any of that. I happily chose this vocation, whatever. But it's like, okay, well, you made a commitment. Our culture makes it very easy to step away from commitment. And just like I said about that woman with infertility issues, you could say this about Father Jonathan Morris. Every time you're hanging on the cross, every temptation to get off the cross seems like it's the will of God. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, again, we're not trying to solve this guy's discernment. We're trying to discuss, like, aspects of this. But I f- everything about it is tragic. I feel yeah. so bad for him because that's such a yeah. – and, again, I, I've, I have witnessed this firsthand, um, some in more intense areas than others, but um, – so I'm, I'm trying to be somewhat careful here with my words. I'm tempted to say that, like, why did, we should have just shut the Legionnaires down completely <laughs> – yeah, you know, but then again, I see how it impacted all my friends' lives. These people that I truly love and care about, and how important it is to them, and why they're like, no, it should stay. Like, yes, these horrible things happen to us. You know, they're the victims here. Yeah, they are the victims. Make like, there's no doubting that. Right. Um, but then they see such good, and they and it, God has impacted their uh, their lives in such profound ways through the people that they met and the, and the, and the things that they've done. How can they? I'm, I'm not. I'm not advocating for. I gotta be careful here. Yeah, a big <laughs> like, part of my father-in-law's spirituality uh, and his conversion was through men in RC, and so, I mean, to imagine if that wasn't in place, maybe he never would have had his conversion. Which is how, like, Father Maciel is the living example, like you said, of God able to write straight with our crooked lines, right? Like miracles of conversion and growth and sanctity happened in spite of this man. 
And I think that's he, a testament to the power of the gospel, honestly. Like, oh my gosh, totally. Like, the fact that God was, I mean, I personally think he was corrupt from the beginning. I think he, I think he oh, yeah. manipulated all of it. I don't think he started it with, I mean, who knows? There could have been, like, it could be both, that he both believed and was corrupt and he was a tortured soul. I absolutely a thousand percent believe that God was like, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to use this anyways. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and like ultimately his kingdom came crashing down. Like ultimately the bad stuff came to light. He was exposed. He was brought to justice. Um, so this is a very good, good example. Like, you know, he was called out. And he was condemned to a um, life of penance. I think that's a great form of – that's a great example of, like, this is what um, justice can look like. Yeah. Um, and make no mistake, for a person like him, that was, like, the terrible. Yeah. I think about Ugh. McCarrick, you know, like, he built up all this stuff, and now it's – now he's got, like, he has no esteem. He's a pariah. Um, he has his – someone said, will his family members take him in? And someone responded, they have millions of reasons to take him in, meaning his money. I feel that right arm of justice is satisfied when someone like him, though not thrown in jail or excommunicated or something like that, but he is, he's been stripped of his garments, as it were. And that's a, like while he was still alive. So he will die watching his empire in ashes. Whereas I think it would have sucked if he... In, in a sense, right? Because we know that God ultimately would get justice, whether it's hell or purgatory or heaven. You know, like, there will be a reckoning, and God does not grow slack. His patience is to lead us to repentance. But at the same time, it's like, but come on, I want to see it, Lord. I want to see exactly. it. <laughs> and that might be disordered on my part, but burn <laughs> the mf -er in this life, not just in the I next. I will take five rows back. Ten. I'll do ten. <laughs> Doesn't have to be be the be the front row. I didn't work eleven DC. Well, this was actually was I in DC? Yeah. No, I was in Upper Genius, so it doesn't even count. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Ugh, oh, now so it leads me to repentance. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I'm a carrick. <laughs> well, you know, and this is why I'm I'm not really upset that he was laicized. I know that, that some yeah. people were like, "That's not a punishment. That's like we're no the um, clergy are no better than us." Um, Although, according uh, to the Council of Trent, it's a higher vocation. I know. I'm like, well, I don't know about that. Yeah, I do, I do think it's a higher vocation. But um, uh, that's church teaching. So um, take that, Americanism. It doesn't bother me because I know what it meant to him. Yeah. You know, like, I know, like, he, th like, that's the most that that we can do besides him going to jail or being quite, like, you know, like, kicked out on the street homeless. Yeah. Which I'm like, that might be a just response, but I don't think it's the right one. I think this is as good as it could be, and I'm okay with that. Did you hear that in the diocese of Corpus Christi, three priests are suing their diocese for being put on a credibly accused list, and they feel that they, in no way, shape, or form, should have been? Ooh, See, this is this a, is the part where things get really, really crazy. Mess, because yeah. you want to, A, believe the victims. You want to, B, search out for other victims, right? So you don't want to... You don't want to sign an NDA, which is actually illegal in the Catholic Church to do so about priestly molestation and whatever. Um, but you need to, even to, at the point of gossip and rumor mills, because these you need to find out if there are other victims. So if someone is credibly accused, there has to be an element of publication of that. And these priests are essentially saying, we don't deserve to be on that list. 
We are not credibly accused. And you have ruined our entire lives. You know, even our family doesn't want to be associated with us because they think we're child molesters or rapists or something like that. Now, like, this is, I feel like this is that Akita prophecy of priests against bishops, bishops against bishops, cardinals. Like, we're watching now it's going to be secular courts sorting out the definition of, and, and maybe it needs to be, the definition of credible when we talk about credibly accused. Yeah. It is. I don't know if I go sc- that. F- Sorry. No, I was just going to say it's scary stuff. Yeah, no, I don't know if I'd go that far yet to say that we're at that point. I think a lot, uh, when we first talked to J.D. Flynn about this McCarrick stuff, uh, gosh, almost a year ago now, about 10 months ago, he brought up, he's like, yeah, this is going to be a real mess to deal with, and people are going to get accused who weren't, and people are like, this is going to, like, this is not going to be some clean, just, like, woo, everything's fine now. Um. This is going to be like this is the mess we kind of have to enter into. I'm, I'm not saying that the price is that good people are are wrongfully accused of horrible acts. I'm just saying that yeah, if you're not and you're put on that list, push back. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't have those lists still. Right. This is the hard part about solving this stuff, man. Uh, this is why justice in this life will always be imperfect. You know, this goes right back to the apartheid and truth and reconciliation. This goes back to how do we heal from the wounds, the lasting wounds of slavery. Uh, I mean, the whole Hutu and um, Tutsi, Burundi and Rwanda thing is a result of British colonialism. I mean, when British, when the Brits left colonies, they would split uh, tribes in half intentionally and form new countries out of them so that the most powerful dominant tribe couldn't be a majority anymore. So for instance, in Afghanistan, they split it into Afghanistan on one side and Pakistan on the other. And it was right in the middle of uh, what would be called, what is it? Waziristan or whatever. Like the, the people group, the tribe that is the, would have been the, the total ethnic majority, which are the represented now by the Taliban. They're, their whole kingdom was literally split right in half and one side's Afghanistan, the other side is Pakistan. And it's just fascinating to me because you have these things happen and these are the wounds that are left over. The wounds from slavery is, you know, the fifties with the fire hoses on black people are trying to vote. You have the Jim Crow laws, you know, all that stuff. But this is, this is the fascinating thing. It's like, when does true justice occur and when can we allow mercy to be enough? Right, like I don't have true yeah. justice for like yeah. what is it? What does true justice look like for McCarrick? Scott Hahn wanted him excommunicated because all you're doing is saying now you're laicized. So what? His punishment is he's now one of us. Uh, isn't that the height of clericalism? But excommunication is not reserved for that. That's not the point. But of what it. if he repented though as well? Yeah. Like what if he went to the cardinal, like someone, and said like, yeah. I'm messed up. I need counseling. I I need like what if like because like again like again um, excommunication implies that you're you're like politically in a state of sin, right? Well, yeah, That's it's a perduring idea. censorship. Like if you are in, or it's a it's the most extreme form of cen- censoring, and so it's not meant it's not meant to punish people's sins. It's meant to punish obstinate perduring, you know, whether it's heresy or schism or whatever. It's not meant to be like, oh, you looked at pornography like a lot, a lot. Well, therefore, you're excommunicated because he's not still committing those same acts. So the point of excommunication doesn't apply to him. 
we want excommunication to be like the spiritual death penalty, and that's not what it is, and that's what people yeah. treat it like. That, and it's like, and like you can get out of it by confessing. Yeah, I mean, don't like. You know, so I kind of wish like the punishment for McCarrick was like we just got to punch him in the face. <laughs> like I would almost feel more <laughs> satisfied with seeing him get punched in the face than him being put into it's like some monastery somewhere doing a life of penance what does a life of penance mean in america like three meals uh you know like what does a life of yeah. penance look like what are you doing exodus 90 in there Listen, what if he <laughs> just spends all day like on the robin hood app just trading penny stocks <laughs> penny stocks like, i used whatever. to move millions <laughs> oh so get that kick though luke we luke, we're funny again now which means this is the end of the show. <laughs> and it ends with us talking about McCarrick on Robin Hood. <laughs> Where's little Jimmy? <laughs> I don't know what that means, Luke. Is that a double entendre? Anywho, you can find oh, us dude. at patreon.com slash CF. Uh, first 10 people to give to uh, to first new bleh, new first people. New people. New patrons get a call from me and Gomer, making Gomer's life more inconvenient <laughs> since 2001. <laughs> Oh, so accurate. So accurate. I, and I do want to say again, uh, just if you're still even up listening, big thank you to everyone out in Alaska. That was incredible. Yeah, good people uh, all around. One of my favorite trips that we've ever done. Uh, it's just great. So thank you guys. Yeah. Awesome. Got right. a lot to live up to, St. Louis. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Luke will be staying at my in-law's house. It's going to be awesome. Oh, Luke, you're going to be babysitting my kids. All right, ladies and gentlemen, bye.